Hello and welcome to A History of Electronic Music, Part 14. And welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Paul Sheiky, and this is part 14 of our Electronic Odyssey. And first of all, uh, many apologies for the length of time it's taken me for to release this episode. And um, my excuse is that I was I moved house, and I also bought lots of synthesizers, and I've been playing with them. Uh, so apologies for that, but to make up for it, uh, this is going to be an extra long episode. It's probably going to be around about two hours long in total, so I will split it up into two when I release it. Um, and it's going to be sort of filling in gaps from the 70s and before, so any artists that I've perhaps overlooked or that didn't fit into any particular other category. So I'll be starting off with a bit of Krautrock, a couple of names that I've not perhaps gone into as much as I could have, uh, a bit of prog rock. Uh, and the electronics within that, and then some film music, and then finishing off with the sort of Moog albums of the 70s and a bit of Jean-Jacques Perry and Gershon Kingsley. But first of all, it's back to Germany, and two names that stand out as deserving a particular attention, and they are Klaus Schultz and Manuel Gotching. Uh, Schultz, of course, has been mentioned on this program before because he worked on Tangerine Dream's first album, Electronic Meditation, but after leaving Tangerine Dream, he got together with Gottsching and Harmund Enk to form Ashrar Temple in 1971. With Schultz on drums, Gottsching on guitar and Enk playing bass, they recorded a self-titled debut album that was basically electronically treated rock and had music like this on it. A little part of Traum Machine, which is Dream Machine in German, from Ashra Temple from 1971. 
At this time, Schultz was heavily influenced by Pink Floyd's second album, A Saucer Full of Secrets, which featured some quite spacey, organ-heavy songs like this one. Pink Floyd and set the controls for The Heart of the Sun from 1968, a source full of secrets, very influential to Klaus Schultz. Deciding keyboards were the future, Klaus put away his drumsticks and got hold of a Tiesco electric organ and some tape devices and made his own proto-ambient cosmic music. The result was his first solo album, Erlicht, which stands for Eerie Light which also featured a recording of a classical orchestra rehearsal played backwards from that album. This is Sats Iben. Short extract from Sats i Ben from the 1972 album Ehrlicht. Schultz continued to develop his sound, which he has described as like a dream without the isolation of sleep, and also continued to expand his equipment list. In 73, he briefly rejoined Ashra Temple to play his newly acquired EMS Synthy A on the album Join In which also featured Rosie Muller on vocals. From that album, this is Yen Seats, which stands for Beyond. 
Yensitz from the 1973 album Ash by Ashra Temple, which was called Join In. Um, so around about this time, Schultz and Gotching were still producing quite similar sounding cosmic music. But this was to change when Gotching spent two months in the summer of 74, locked up with a guitar, some effects units and a four-track tape machine. The resultant album is the ambient classic Inventions for Electric Guitar, which took delay effects and guitar sounds into a whole new realm. From that album, this is a track called Echo Waves. of Echo Waves by Manuel Gotching from 1974. I think it was actually released under the name Ashra Temple 4, but it was essentially his first solo album. Schultz's music was changing too. The addition of a custom-built Synthonorma sequencer created a new dimension in his music, and the album Time Wind won wide acclaim and an award for Best New Classical Album in 1975. Dedicated to Richard Wagner, Time Wind features this track, which was recorded live in one take in a studio and is named in reference to Wagner's hometown of Bayreuth. This is Bayreuth's Return.
Okay, Ruth Return from 1975 by Klaus Schultz from the album Time Wind. The success of Time Wind allowed Schultz to expand his studio further with the purchase of a six cabinet Moog Series 3, which he dubbed the Big Moog, and a host of other synths. Manuel Gotching was going more electronic too, and in 1976 released A New Age of Earth under the new name Ashra. Perhaps to reinforce the fact that his music had changed so much it could hardly be called rock anymore, and it perhaps dis- dissociated itself from the Ashra Temple name. Again, heavy on the very nice delay effects, this is Sun Rain from that album. Sun Rain from the first Ashra album, New Age of Earth, from 1976. Although Klaus Schultz's music was at this time becoming closer to being purely electronic, he was still a big Pink Floyd fan, which might have influenced his decision to join the prog rock supergroup Go when asked by founder Stomu Yamashita. Two very varied albums resulted, but certain tracks really stand out as having had quite a bit of Schultz's input, uh, such as this one, which is called Space Song.
bass song from the album Stomu Yamashita's Go from 1976. Although working with Go, Klaus continued to produce solo works and in the late 70s came up with two of his best albums. Mirage was envisioned as an electronic winter landscape and this extract from it quite nicely uh, illustrates one of the key differences between Schultz's work and that of his contemporary's Tangerine Dream. And that is in its use of a more classically minimalist approach to repetition, making his music closer to that of Philip Glass and Terry Riley, rather than the slightly more prog rock orientated Tangerine Dream work of this time. Uh, this is Crystal Lake. Crystal Lake from the 1977 masterpiece Mirage by Klaus Schultz. Uh, his other great album from this time was his 10th studio album, and it was thus entitled 10 in Roman numerals, that is X. Mark Prendergast has this to say about it in his book The Ambient Century. X was a return to electronic classicism, featuring cello, violin, chamber orchestra, a real drummer, a mellotron and a multi-voiced Korg synthesizer alongside his usual kit, Schultz created six musical portraits. Wagner's eccentric patron, King Ludwig II of Bavaria, was honoured, as were Nietzsche, the Austrian poet George Trackel and the sci-fi writer Frank Herbert. The music ranged from choral synth backdrops fronted by dancing percussive keyboards to finely accented flute-like electronic miniatures. 
There was driving rock-style synth and drum music, contrasted by brooding, ambient, slow stuff full of atmosphere. Event-filled landscapes gave way to bare mindscapes of dream music. Schultz had proved that analog synthesizers and real instruments could mix to make music with the same integrity as classical music. I'd certainly agree with most of what he said, except that he did refer to real instruments as opposed to analog synthesizers, as if somehow analog synthesizers aren't real instruments. I prefer the term traditional instruments. Anyway, um, but I would certainly agree in terms of it's a fantastic album, and it's definitely the best combination of classical music and electronic music I've ever heard. And it also highlights one of the differences with Tangerine Dream as well, in that they were combining uh, more rock guitars and more the prog rock style at this time. So here's some music from that album. This is Ludwig II von Bayern. clip from Ludwig II von Bayern from the X album which is excellent apologies for that joke from 1978 Gotching meanwhile was working with various people under the Ashra name and seemed to be struggling to find a cohesive idea to hold on to as these two clips from albums around that time suggest <laughs>
two tracks by Ash Ra. Uh, the first one was Club Cannibal from the 1979 album Correlations. And after that, it's followed by uh, Kazoo uh, from Bell Alliance from 1980. And obviously, the if you listen to them whole albums as well, they're, they're extremely varied. And really, you can see him sort of struggling to, to find a style uh, to stick to. That's nearly it for the Krautrock section. Of course, there's lots more to Klaus Schultz, so he continues to make music to this day, and he's still re-releasing his old music, but he's certainly one of the most prolific electronic artists. He's pretty much produced an album every year since 1971. So it was a huge amount, and I haven't really got time to go into how his work's developed through the 80s. So I could certainly see myself revisiting that perhaps perhaps in an 80s or 90s roundup uh, at some point in the future but i can't leave gotching behind just yet because in the early 80s he produced perhaps one of the most influential electronic albums recorded in the last month of 1981 e2e4 was released on klaus schultz's label in team in 1984 here's what mark prendergast has to say about it a wonderfully dancey rhythm track with enough space for liquid sounds, funky bass keyboard grooves, hesitant nervy keyboard motifs and the silken guitar notes of old. At nearly an hour long it occupied a space all of its own, thus becoming one of the most sampled records of the house explosion of the 1980s and 1990s, a veritable soundtrack for the E-generation. And here's part of it, this is E2E4.
part of E2, E4 by Manuel Gotching, which was recorded in 1981. And E2, E4, by the way, is named after the most popular opening move in chess. Um, Pink Floyd were mentioned a couple of times there, and it's worth having a brief look at what they were doing with synths in the early and mid-70s. After trying out their new material on tour in 72, the band got together at the state-of-the-art Abbey Road Studios to record what would become the dark side of the moon. Always having been open-minded about new technologies, the band were happy to include some synthesised elements on the album, which were produced by the oft-mentioned EMS VCS3 and Synthy A. In this clip, Richard Wright plays an EMS, and him and David Gilmore talk about their approach to music technology. I don't think equipment could take over. We do rely on it a lot. I mean, we couldn't do what we do as we do it without it. We could still do a good entertaining musical show I suppose without it but all those things are down to how you control them and whether you're controlling them and not the other way around. It's just a question of using the tools that are available when they're available and more and more now there's all kinds of electronic goodies which are available for people like us to use if we can be bothered and we can be bothered. It's all extensions of what's coming out of our heads I mean, you've got to remember that it's, you've got to have it inside your head to be able to get it out at all anyway. And the, the equipment isn't actually thinking of what to do any of the time. It couldn't control itself. That was Pink Floyd talking about the production of the album The Dark Side of the Moon. And that was clip was taken from Pink Floyd Live in Pompeii. Um, a, a promotional video that they did around that time. The album is one of the biggest selling albums of all time and played an important role in introducing and normalising the use of synthesizers in rock music. Perhaps the heaviest use of synths on the album is in this track, which is On The Run.
On the run from the 1973 album Dark Side of the Moon. The next album, Wish You Were Here, continued in a similar vein, with the most electronic track, Welcome to the Machine, being described by Gilmore as being built up from a basic throbbing made on a VCS3, with a one-repeat echo used so that each boom is followed by an echo repeat to get the throb. And here's a bit of it, Welcome to the Machine. Welcome to the Machine by Pink Floyd from 1975. Dark Side of the Moon was sound engineered by Alan Parsons, but he declined the same role on Wish You Were Here as he'd started his own prog rock band by this time, the Alan Parsons Project, and it's worth taking a quick look at their use of electronics as well. The core members of the Alan Parsons Project were of course Alan Parsons and composer and pianist Eric Wolfson, and they made up the numbers with various session musicians and guest members. Most of their albums are concept albums on particular themes, such as the stories of Edgar Allan Poe and the supernatural powers of Egyptian pyramids. The second album was based on the stories of Isaac Asimov and was thus called I, Robot. And, of course, any music with a sci-fi theme must contain synthesizers. This is an extract from some early instrumental mixes of tracks from the album, which on the album's 2008 reissue was called The Naked Robot.
part of the Naked Robot from iRobot. So music originally written in 1977. Through the late 70s and early 80s, uh, in general, the Alan Parsons project used electronics in a way that became increasingly typical of the time. And that is a kind of halfway Berlin school use of looped sequences and half disco with a steady, simple beat. This track from their 1982 album, Eye in the Sky, demonstrates this nicely. Mama Gamma by the Alan Parsons Project from 1982. And I must thank Lee Laycock for um, alerting me to the that tune's existence. And interesting about that is also that it was apparently made almost entirely using a Fairlight CMI sampler, uh, which I hope to do uh, a part of a program about at some future date and talk about that in a little, more, little bit more detail. But for now, I want to take a brief look at one more final prog rock band who are interesting in that they're far more known for scoring Dario Argento's Italian horror films than anything else. Their name is, of course, Goblin. They originally chose that name when they worked with Giorgio Gaslini on the film Profondo Rosso and wanted to differentiate themselves from their non-film music for which they had just released another album under the name Cherry Five. As it turned out, the film soundtrack album was massively more popular, so they stuck to the name Goblin, and began a long-standing relationship with director Dario Argento. Their next collaboration was from 1977 Suspiria, from which this track is taken.
that's a little bit of the end there. Uh, that was Marcos by Goblin from the 1977 film Suspiria. Although the band split a year later, three former members did get back together at the bequest of Argento to score his latest film, Tenebre. Guitarist Massimo Morante and bassist Fabio Pignatelli joined the electronic wizardry of Claudio Simonetti to produce a soundtrack that has more in common with electro than with prog rock. From the soundtrack album Tenebre, this is the excellent track Flashing. Bloody Brilliant Flashing by Goblin from 1982. That's definitely my best discovery from doing this particular episode of this podcast. And incidentally as well, it was from the title track of that 
um, film, on the film album, whatever, Tenebre, that Justice took this little sample. Which, of course, features on uh, their track Phantom from the Cross album. So now you know where it came from. <laughs> 